Welcome, everybody, to the Snark Knights podcast, a podcast where we are talking about comic book movies. I am your co-host, Snark Knight Luke, and with me as always... Snark Knight Jahan, the fifth Ninja Turtle. There's a fifth Ninja Turtle. Oh, God damn it! I think it's Venus de Milo. It might be shortened to something. They added a female turtle for a live-action Turtles TV series. Well, that's still canonical, so I guess I'm the sixth Ninja Turtle. Sure. Immediately got demoted. That was a bummer. <laughs> I'm just happy to be involved with the Ninja Turtles. Yes, because Ninja Turtles are awesome. And Happy New Year! Coming in late because the holidays got way busier than we planned. Then there were multiple health issues. We both got sick. Yeah. That's impressive. It was not fun. Mm-mm. But yeah, we lasted a year. Huzzah. Huzzah. Uh, and what a year it was. I've had fun. Yeah, we've seen some good movies and some less good movies. Yes, to put it mildly. But we also saw some good movies. Like what we're seeing today, maybe? Shall we go into it? Let's do it. Okay. Today we are talking about 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Directed by Steve Barron and starring Judith Hogue, Elias Cotis, Michael Turney, Jay Patterson, Raymond Sarah, James Saito, Sam Rockwell, apparently Skeet Ulrich is in there too somewhere, Tashishiro Obata, and now for this next part, I sort of, because there are so many people involved with each turtle, I'm just going to break them down by each turtle. As Leonardo, we have Brian Tochi doing the voice, David Foreman in the costume, and Martin P. Robinson doing the animatronics. For Donatello, we have Corey Feldman voicing, Leif Tilden in the costume, and David Rudman for animatronics. Raphael, we have Josh Pace pulling a double duty, voicing and in the costume, with David Greenway on the animatronics. For Michelangelo, we have Robbie Rist voicing, Michael Sisti in the suit, and Mac Wilson doing animatronics. And finally, for Splinter, who is a big puppet, he is voiced and mainly handled by Kevin Clash, with assistance from Ricky Boyd and Robert Tigner. Nice. So, first of all, the most notable name of those was obviously Corey Feldman, but yeah. also... There was a name in there. I was like, why is that familiar? Robbie Rist, who, as I said, is the voice for Michelangelo. He was Cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch. So, like, the trope of adding a younger character to an already established cast referred to as Cousin Oliver. He was Cousin Oliver. Learned something new today. Yeah, there you go. And with that, tell us what is... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We open with a shot of New York and the Twin Towers. Never forget. Mm. The city is dealing with a weird crime wave with lots of theft, but almost no trace of the thieves. Reporter April O'Neill is covering the events, but there isn't much to cover as a secretive crime syndicate eludes all investigation. Speaking of crime waves, April is almost mugged by some youths outside of her work, but is saved by some unseen fighters who disappear as police arrive on the scene. She doesn't see who helped her, but finds one of their weapons, a Psy, on the ground. The Psy belongs to Raphael, one of the four Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo, and Leonardo, these turtle teenagers love pizza, martial arts, and being super chill. 
They return to their lair where they debrief with Master Splinter, a giant rat and their sensei. He realizes that his young wards are at a point in their training where they need to start thinking and acting more independently. Raphael, still stung by the loss of his blade, goes out on the town in a fedora and trench coat to blow off some steam. But he's not a flasher, he just goes to see a movie, and stops a mugging as any responsible Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle would do. As he stops the mugging, he runs into another New York vigilante, Casey Jones. Jones wears hockey gear and wails on criminals with baseball bats. Apparently, he likes sports. He and Raphael disagree on how much beating is necessary to stop criminals, and their disagreements over philosophy end up bringing them to blows until they realize that both of their mothers are named Martha. Then the police arrive and they split, though Casey sees Raphael without his disguise on and freaks out a little. April O'Neil's investigation into the network of thieves reveals that they belong to a criminal enterprise known as the Foot Clan. The police commissioner refuses to believe her, but she finds a new ally in the very turtle whose blade she discovered the night before. April is ambushed by the Foot Clan in a subway station, and Raphael, who had been scouting her out after seeing her talk about the clan on TV, swoops in to her rescue. April is knocked unconscious by the clan members, and Raphael brings her back to the turtle lair to recuperate. This phantom of the opera wackiness is somewhat mitigated by her massive freakout when she wakes up to four giant turtles and one giant rat, all of whom are wearing clothes and staring at her. But, to her credit, April is open-minded enough to hear them out. Master Splinter regales her with his and the turtle's origin story. Splinter was once the pet rat of a great ninja, and watched him train, learning how to fight like a true ninja by emulating his moves. Splinter's owner moved to New York, and after he passed on, Splinter lived in the sewers. One day, he saw four baby turtles crawling around in radioactive waste and rescued them. Overnight, the sludge they were all exposed to made the rat and his new turtle friends grow in size and intelligence. Splinter passed on his ninja training to them, and now they are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles! April is astonished but delighted to have made such interesting new friends. She invites them by for pizza, and they all get to know each other, but in the meantime, the Foot Clan has tracked down the turtle lair and kidnapped Master Splinter. When they realize this, the distraught teenage turtles head back to April's, but are forced to hide when her boss comes by with his son, who, unbeknownst to either of them, is a recruit of the Foot Clan, committing petty thefts for them to prove his worth to the ancient gang that came to America from Japan. Dozens of kids like him are recruited to see if they can become foot soldiers for the leader of the Foot Clan, Master Shredder, a heavily armored scary man with the goals of city and then world domination. He also loathes the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles who have become the first major obstacle to his plan. Meanwhile, those very turtles are ambushed by Foot Clan henchmen and prove their fighting skills by overcoming waves of masked attackers. They get an assist from Casey Jones, who helps the turtles and April get out of the city to the farm she grew up on. For what seems like a long, long time considering that their master is being held hostage, the group recuperates, recovers, bonds, and receives a psychic fire message from Master Splinter after intense meditation. Yup. So Meditation Hallucination Splinter gives them a pep talk and tells them that the power to save him and defeat Shredder was within them all along, because their true power is love. We also learn that Shredder killed Splinter's master in New York, and Splinter has dedicated his life to stopping Shredder's evil clan. The turtles might not exactly be ready yet, but circumstances have dictated that they must be. After hearing from their master, they find out where the Foot Clan headquarters is, and Casey manages to infiltrate it as he is on the older end of their recruitment demographic. The Turtles and April also sneak in, and through a mixture of stealth, ass-kicking, and gentle persuasion, the group manages to save Master Splinter and take out most of the Foot Clan henchmen. 
but the turtle's wisecracking and slapstick combat comes to an end when Shredder emerges to face them. The turtles attack him one by one and are unable to match Shredder, but they don't need to, as Splinter shows up to save them in the nick of time and face down the man who killed his master. Splinter defeats Shredder and dangles the villain from the rooftop they just fought on, but Shredder tries to attack again and falls into a garbage truck. Yay, that's the end of this kid's movie! Just kidding. Casey activates the compactor in the garbage truck and murders Shredder. Woof. Okay. The end. Yeah. Given some of the weirdly intricate movies we've had recently, this was kind of a breath of fresh air. Oh, absolutely. You don't have to try really hard to make an origin story compelling. For whatever reason, a lot of directors and writers throw the kitchen sink at it, whereas this did whatever the opposite of throwing the kitchen sink is. <laughs> yeah. So, considering that this might be our shortest synopsis ever, I would love to hear your take on this movie. Sort of like yours last time that was harder just because it was a goofier movie, so mm -hmm. here we go. In 1987, four brothers operate in the shadows using the ancient art of ninjutsu to protect the city of New York. Named after masters of the Italian Renaissance, Leonardo leads, Donatello loves machines. Raphael is cool but rude, and Michelangelo is a party dude. They are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Travel back to 1990 and witness their story of unity, inner strength, and acceptance. But hey, we get to talk about Sam Rockwell again. And a subtle homophobic joke. But, but mostly Sam Rockwell. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Heroes. In a half shell. Nice. Thank you. Oh, that's going to wreck that. my voice. I mean, I already watched it, but I'd watch it after that. Right? So, 1990. I am 11. I was the target demographic for this. Like, this stuff had staying power. I can't even imagine yeah, the it, hype when this first came out, though. It was so crazy. Like, I specifically remember just discovering the cartoon by complete accident. Just leaving the TV on, and all of a sudden this cartoon started. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing! Just massive. And what I didn't know at the time, based on a comic book. What I really yeah. didn't know at the time was based on a very, very violent comic book. Right. With lots of blood and death. Yeah, the catchphrases and the pizzas came about because of the TV show more than the comics. Right. Which luckily predated this movie, otherwise we would have had a really weird, gritty, puppet turtle fighting movie. Yeah, but coincidentally, this really closely uses the first story arc from the comic book. Well, it's a great origin story. Why fuck it, with it? It really is. So, yeah, you, you had mentioned in your synopsis that we get to see the Twin Towers. It is the establishing shot of the film. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles... Yes. The opening bit of the movie is the Foot Clan's crime spree. They are stealing everything. Wallets, TVs, you name it. Like an older woman is sitting on her balcony watching TV. She turns away for a second and they steal her TV. Yeah. I think it was sort of a, just more to prove yourself to the Foot Clan than actually trying to do anything with what they're stealing set up. Yeah. It genuinely amused me that they were just stealing everything. Yeah. I get it. It works. It's legitimately not a complaint on my part because it really establishes them as not giving a fuck. If it's not nailed down, they're taking it. My favorite thing was how quickly they did it, too. 
everyone who turned their back for a moment had something stolen. Yep. Ninjas. Yeah. And then during the crime spree, we get introduced to April O'Neil, who is a very competent TV reporter in this. Yeah, she's pretty much the only one who manages to figure out what's going on and is utterly ignored by everyone around her. But she doesn't care that she's ignored. She's doing her job, and she's doing it well. Yep. More journalists need to wear yellow jackets. I love that they brought in the yellow jacket. Yeah. It's something that aesthetically works well in cartoons, but looks really stupid in real life, but she pulled it it off. Yeah. Oh, man. This movie moves along pretty quickly at first. Yeah. It has to establish a few things pretty quickly, but there's just a ton of setup before the movie takes a minute to breathe. Yeah. So, after the turtles save April, Raphael gets angry and goes off. He goes off, and he goes to a movie, and he goes to see Critters. And I was like, oh, well, like, was it the same movie studio? No. Same director? No. Writer? No. I have no idea why they picked Critters. Huh. That's pretty funny. Maybe that's what teenagers were seeing back then? (laughs) They're really going hard in on the they're teenagers bit. Um, We get introduced to Casey Jones, and I will take a shot at Jose Canseco joke any day of the week. Uh, What was the deal with that joke? Casey Jones takes a swing at Raphael with a bat. Raphael catches it and says, Jose Canseco back. Tell me you did not pay money for this. And I'll just take it because Jose Canseco's a dick. Oh, okay. He's a New Yorker, so I think that plays into it. Um, But yeah, God, they do such a good job with Raphael. And what's funny is, like, growing up in the cartoon, I was the least interested in him because he had the least interesting weapon, which... Side note, I actually own a pair of Psy. Nice. But Raphael basically, for plot purposes, lucked into being the most compelling turtle. Yeah, I mean, he's the one who, he's filled with anger. Yeah. When he comes back, uh, Splinter just sits him down and, you know, tells him, you've always felt like the outsider, even among your brothers. You need to let go. It's really compelling. Um, This ends up playing out more in several years in the movie TMNT, which is an animated movie, which is canonically in this universe. Mm -hmm. Also, this movie started the pizza craze of America. May it never end. It it at least slowed down a little. But, oh my god, turtles were everywhere, and anything they did affected everything. Yeah. Um, Great foot soldier costumes. Yeah, almost. there's almost like a sci-fi touch to them. Especially with the uh, goggles or the, the eye pieces. Yeah. Aside from the headband and the coloring, they are very close to being comic accurate. Hmm, nice. So, you mentioned April's boss's son, mm-hmm. who is named Danny. He is really quick to sell out April and the Turtles. Yeah, but he's an angsty teenager. He hates his dad. But he seemed to like April. Well... I think he was just trying to fit in with the Foot Clan people, and then once the gravity of it sunk in, he sort of reversed. But he just seemed desperate for approval from anyone or anything. (laughs) Yeah. We're introduced to the Shredder, and he mentioned there's this new threat out there, the Turtles. Mm -hmm. So then Danny steps forward and is like, yeah, I saw someone at my dad's employee's apartment that was weird. I think it's those Turtles, I guess. A Turtlesque-looking individual. 
at my dad's employee's yes. house. A giant turtle thing. Let's not question that. So that's how the foot find the turtles hiding at April's. Mm-hmm. And so then they leave and get out of town because they need to regroup and figure out what's going on. And Out to the old O'Neill family farm. Yeah. And they, they start to really force a relationship between Casey Jones and April. Force is the right word considering how much toxic masculinity crept into Casey's character that I think is like the one thing about this movie that didn't age well. Yes, absolutely. He's real handsy. Like at one point he forces her to sit still so he can give her a massage and it's supposed to be sexy. It is not. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, even the emotional stuff, sometimes relationships feel forced, but it was a little bit beyond that, which just makes it harder to swallow. Yeah, the only thing they have in common in this movie is they're both humans surrounded by mutants. So, we get ninja magic! They just had to meditate really, really hard. Yep, and I'm okay with that. And this is two movies in a row now that we've done with fathers encouraging their sons. Yeah. I like family dynamic stuff, and this really worked for me. Yeah. It also lets them be teenagers a little more naturally when they're playing against a father figure. Mm -hmm. I did think it was funny that in his fire hallucination appearance to them, he was like kind of pep talking them to come save him and defeat Shredder. Mm -hmm. But then his advice, his secret to winning that battle was just that he loves them all, which is very sweet. But as we saw when they fought Shredder at the end, not helpful. (laughs) Absolutely not. It felt like the farm scene went on kind of long, and I guess that was, as we kind of mentioned earlier, that was that was the first time the movie really breathes after the first act, and mm-hmm. um, they have to do some character development, they have to sort of build up the dynamics between characters. I get it, it lasts a while, but I got this right. feeling halfway through it that the O'Neill family farm scene was definitely ripped off by Joss Whedon for the Hawkeye family farm scene in Avengers Age of Ultron. Ha! It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And it works it works better in that than it did here, but I just could not get that out of my head once the thought popped up. That's stuck in my head now. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Good times on the farm. But then bad times back in the city. Bad times back in the city because they get back, they go down to the sewers, and immediately we get a gay joke. And it it barely works because you have to frame Casey Jones as dumb enough to not know what a phobia is. So basically the joke is that they get down to the sewers and Casey's being kind of nervous for the first time ever since they met him. And one of the turtles right. is like, what are you, claustrophobic? And then Casey gets in his face and misinterpret it to mean homosexual. And he gets a little upset about yeah. that. It doesn't really work. All, all he says is like, I've never even looked at another man or something like that. Yeah. Oddly, it's a forced gay joke. Yeah. So the turtles then find Danny who had been talking to Splinter at the foot soldiers hideout yeah. and basically realized, oh, these people are bad because they're torturing this rat who seems like a really good guy. Yeah. Splinter is such a sweetheart. He is. It seemed like he might try to be manipulating Danny, but no, he genuinely cared. Yeah. It just happened to lead to him getting rescued, but I think he would have tried to help Danny the exact same way regardless. Yeah, he saw that Danny was troubled, torn, and just needed somebody to remind him that he's cared about, because Splinter is awesome. 
And he knows how to deal with angsty teenagers. Yes, he does. So in all of Splinter's flashbacks, he talks about how his master, Amato Yoshi, had to leave the Foot Clan, come to America with the woman who he loves, and he gets a job right away. Good on him. Mm-hmm. Just made me happy. See, they show him coming home. He's clearly been working in construction. He went from being a ninja leader to a construction worker. Doesn't feel above anything. He's just with the woman who he loves and he wants to support her and make help make a life for them. Got a job. I'm glad you think this is cute, but frankly, I'm disappointed in capitalism for not allowing more ninjas to act as ninjas and instead forcing them to take menial labor <laughs> jobs. How do you know there isn't tons of it? Touche. If ninjas are doing their job right, we wouldn't know. Yeah, that's fair. So Sam Rockwell pops up. Uh, Casey Jones is trying to get Splinter out of the foot headquarters. And Sam Rockwell's like, we're a family. And Casey Jones provides this stirring speech about, you call this a family? And that's basically all he says. And everybody agrees with him. Well, Splinter's there to do the real heavy lifting as far as convincing these kids that Shredder's not a good guy. Yeah. So, big fight again. Goofy music choice. It really offsets the tone of this final fight. Yeah, I think that highlights who this movie is for and the direction they took making this franchise very kids-friendly. Yeah. Um, right up until their actual final confrontation with the Shredder, that is. Then it gets serious and gloomy because the Shredder's a dude just covered in blades. But, yeah, you mentioned Casey Jones flat-out murders him. Yep. Shredder falls into a garbage truck. Casey Jones walks over, chokingly says, oops, and pulls the compactor lever. Casey Jones is definitely the uh, Azrael to the Ninja Turtles Batman. <laughs> hey, good take. But yeah, along those lines, I started thinking about Casey's character more, and it occurred to me, I don't know if this was intentional or not, maybe it comes up more in the comics, maybe I'm just making this up, but I feel like Casey is what the Turtles would be like if they didn't have the love in their life that Splinter mentioned when he appeared in their fire uh, at the farm. So like Casey's also a young, snarky, melee enthusiast with lots of pop culture jokes and sass, just like the Turtles, but he doesn't have mm -hmm. the brothers or the father figure that the Turtles have. And then the main difference between him and the Turtles, personality-wise, is that Casey is angrier, darker, less merciful. I already pointed out he's kind of like the Azrael to their Batman without any Robins or Alfreds to mitigate his inner turmoil. And uh, I might be really reading into this character way too much, but yeah, that thought occurred to me, and I was wondering if you agreed or you don't think he's supposed to be like a mirror of the Turtles in that way. I, I hadn't thought of it, but... Thinking about it now, I can see it. Yeah, in the comics, I'm pretty sure he's more of a sociopath. Pretty sure he's a commentary on the Punisher. Hmm, okay. Uh, so, I really like the look of this movie overall. Yeah, it had a good aesthetic. Yeah, it's got this washed-out look that gives it a more mature feeling. Even though it's a kid's movie, you know, the filter and the lighting and everything mm -hmm. just makes it feel more adult. Yeah. And I remember when I was a kid, that really hit me. Hey, they took this thing that I love. It's a kid's thing, but they made it for grown-ups, and now I'm watching it. Right. So, I was huge into the Turtles, which meant I had the novelization of this movie, but I also had 
There's a trading card company called Tops. I have no idea how big they are anymore, but they used to put out sticker books for various movies. You would basically buy the book and then packs of stickers similar to baseball cards where you didn't know which ones you were going to get. They had numbers that corresponded to different things. And you could mail in like three in exchange for one hmm. instead of buying 50 packs to try to get the one sticker that you're missing. Wow. That's a great system. It was fantastic. I loved those books. Now, both the sticker book and the novelization mention a final scene that is cut from this movie. It was clearly filmed because there were stickers of it. And for years and years and years, until YouTube, it drove me crazy. Huh. Yeah, I threw, I threw this up on our Twitter because, again, it's on YouTube now, finally. What happens is... After the I love being a turtle stuff, and they're all high-fiving and cut to credits. Instead, it cuts to... Sam Jackson asking them to join the Avengers. <laughs> it cuts to an office of a comic book company, and it's April and Danny sitting there as a guy's pacing back and forth behind a desk, mm -hmm. reading a proposal or an outline of a comic book about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he says something about, like, I'm sorry, this is too far-fetched. And then April and Danny laugh because the turtles are in the window behind the guy. It's ridiculous that any comic book guy would say, talking turtles that fight, that's ridiculous. Because it's comic books. Mm -hmm. But in any case, it's a cute scene. It's also weird that that's what they cut. I was expecting something maybe a little less kids-friendly. Oh, it's very kid-friendly. Yeah, that's, that's pretty tame. It's yeah. barely an hour and a half. I don't know why they would have cut it, but... They cut it. So, that is all I got. Final thoughts? Um, yeah, a couple of things. So first, quickly, I really appreciated at the end when all the teenage henchmen get arrested by the cops. The cops ask, what is this criminal enterprise going on? So Sam Rockwell is kind of the leader of this group of teens. He mentions to the cops that there's a Foot Clan sort of hideout or stash of stuff at a warehouse on an island, and the island's called... Lairdman Island, which is a combination of the last names of the guys who created the Ninja Turtles. Uh, so that was pretty oh, cute. Yeah. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, I think. Yes. And then finally, just uh, thinking about this movie more after I finished seeing it for purposes of reviewing it here. I think part of why the movie is so simplistic, aside from aiming it at kids, is that it's just part of a balancing act between keeping the plot easy enough to follow, considering what this movie's about, uh, and also juggling an ensemble cast. Because you have the four turtles and Splinter, as well as April and Casey, all of whom are introduced within the first 15 minutes, and none of whom really give us any background for a while beyond that. So that consideration means that you might not be able to do as much character development or focused subplots to give the movie more dimension, but that decision did allow the origin story aspect of this film to work out pretty smoothly, and also keep things easier to process for kids, so... Uh, it was definitely a trade-off, but probably the right one to make if they were going to aim this at kids. So, to some extent, I want more from it. I also very much understand and appreciate the way it works. It's like a lot of the reviews of this movie are sort of negative, which I didn't expect. I mean, I didn't expect this yeah. to have like an amazing Rotten Tomatoes score, but it's uh, pretty poorly reviewed. And maybe critics didn't appreciate that trade-off, but I don't see how this movie would have worked otherwise. Yeah. I resented a few things about it, but I managed to just bask in the simplicity because it knew what it was doing and it did it really well. And to this day, it's one of the most profitable movies of all time. 
Because then we got more of them. Yes, we did. And, of course, it should be noted that Jim Henson had a hand in designing the costumes. There are very few actors, directors, producers, whatnot, that I reflect on as genuine inspirations. And Jim Henson, way up there for me. Yeah, The Muppets alone is a creative legacy that very few people can match. And that just scratches the surface of what he did in his life. Yeah. So, what is your favorite thing about this movie? Um, my favorite thing about this movie, you actually sort of touched on it a little while ago, but I like the grimy, cheap, early 90s New York aesthetic that this movie captured. Hmm. Because this movie was made on a tiny budget, but they actually did a lot with it. They stretched it in a way that worked out in the movie's favor and also helped it age well. Uh, because really the only thing that didn't age well was Casey's behavior and personality sometimes. Yeah. But uh, more specifically than the overall aesthetic is technically the turtle puppetry was amazing for a low budget late 80s, early 90s movie. And how thick and unwieldy those suits look. <laughs> um, I think they could have differentiated the turtles a little better, especially when one has an orange mask and one has a red mask. But to answer that very criticism immediately, that's what the weapons are for. But the mask thing, that's a mild complaint because the physical acting and the technical aspects behind the turtle costumes, huge nod to Jim Henson and huge nod to the people on the production of this because if anything was going to derail a live action turtle movie, it would have been the costumes looking shitty and or being too restrictive to make the combat scenes work considering how much fighting these turtles have to do. Yeah. And on both counts, they fucking nailed it. Yeah. And just a quick drop in budget, 13.5 million. Box office gross, 202 million. That is turtle power. Uh, What's your favorite thing about this movie? I really liked that they did such a good job establishing how different Leonardo and Raphael are. I mean, they're brothers. All four of them grew up together. And I have a brother. I know what that's like and how that they're very different, but they still have all of these things in common. I just really thought they did a great job with those two. Yeah. And with that, what is your fix this movie? I think to some extent, fixing this movie would basically just be making Casey Jones less of a toxic masculinity poster boy. But in a bigger picture sense of what I would fix about this movie, it's actually the flip side to my favorite thing. I think the acting and the writing for the Turtles was a bit bland and underwhelming. It took them a while to differentiate the characters, and a good chunk of that is April just literally describing the ways that they're different, (laughs) even though that doesn't really come across uh, on screen as much. But anyway, I think the voice acting and the writing just between those two, the Turtles didn't get very distinctive personalities that were shown as opposed to being told which is just a bit of a waste considering how much personality they have in comics and tv so i would have liked a little bit more of that yeah what's your fix this movie actually the exact same thing huh that's funny considering your favorite thing was the two turtles personalities yes but that's those two (laughs) uh ultimately 50 percent still a failing score yeah ultimately michelangelo donatello might as well be the same turtle Right. They're just sort of there. Leonardo gets to, you know, struggle with being the leader. And then you have Raphael just being full of all this anger. 
right. and both of them trying to overcome the shortcomings that that imposes on them. It just would have right. been nice if they had done something with Donatello and something with Michelangelo other than this one has a stick and this one has a stick with a string in it. Yeah. Well, he orders the pizza. That's his character trait. <laughs> yes. They all love pizza. Just as a note to all of our listeners, unless you're a giant turtle that fights crime, liking pizza is not a personality. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and with that, take us home. All right. Follow me down into the sewers as we thank Catherine over at Lone Shoe Graphics for designing our logo. If you need any graphic design work done, look up Catherine over at Lone Shoe Graphics. And if you want to get a glimpse of that deleted scene that Luke was talking about, follow us on Twitter at SnarkNightsPod. If you have any other turtle info or Easter eggs that we missed out on, let us know at SnarkNightsPod at gmail.com. Yeah, I'd be really curious if anybody knows why Critters was used as the movie that Raphael goes to. Yeah. Oh, one final note. Oh. Yeah, so Steve Barron, the director of this, he's another one of those guys that we've kind of talked about before who kind of came in from the music video world into features. He doesn't have a huge filmography, but he directed this and then Coneheads back to back. <laughs> Just those two movies alone is enough to retire on as a great director. So hats off to Steve Barron. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to have a discussion about your love of Coneheads sometime, apparently. Oh, uh, and he also worked with Jim Henson on The Storyteller Oh, and directed two really good miniseries, uh, Merlin, the Sam Neill Merlin, and oh. Arabian Nights. So he has a, a small resume, but it's pretty good culty things. So hats off to Steve Barron. Not bad. Yeah. And now we get to my favorite part of this podcast, where Luke is going to shake up a hat filled with pieces of paper with the names of comic book movies on them. And we will find out what we are doing next. Oh, happy day, because I know you haven't seen this one. Join us next time for 1987's Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Superman 4 is one of the movies on our list that I know I would never see if I were not doing this podcast (laughs) with you, so. You're welcome. And until then, I apologize for nothing.